I really like the way uh, the service started today. We were a little bit late because uh, my car wouldn't start. So usually when stuff like that happens, that's a good sign. Because that means there's somebody that really didn't want us to be here, but we're here. So we're a little bit late, and then we, we come in, and, and Marina was talking about worship in the beginning, and, and me and Susha were talking about worship today, and we were talking about how there was, we read an article about the, about the worship industry, as they call it, and how there's this whole movement and how it's actually bad for worship, this industry, because when we hear the word worship, the first thing our mind associates is singing. When, when, when pastor says we're going to worship right now, automatically in our minds, we're like, we're going to sing right now. When we read the Bible, worship was uh, cutting cows, blood squirting everywhere, you know, humbling yourself before God. And so it's kind of a changed the way that we look at it. So it's important for us to always remember what worship really is, that it's not just singing, that it's, it's, it's just, just a moment when we can come before God and just humble ourselves and just lay everything down before Him. Amen. And today, uh, I don't have a very creative name for this uh, message. It's just called The Armor of God. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 today, talking about the armor of God, talking about what that is and how we can practically apply that into our lives. Ephesians chapter 6, and then it's verses 10 through uh, 18. That's going to be the main place in Scripture where, where we will be today. From verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the wills of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. There were a lot of big words in that scripture, and we're going to try to, to uh, break it down to uh, something that we can understand, something that we can apply to our lives. So this is the most notes I've ever had in a, ever, so this is really strange for me. Because usually I don't have a lot of notes, and when I'm up here, I'm like, God, I don't know what to do next. And uh, so it's kind of nice to be kind of prepared a little bit. But So in the, in the beginning, Paul's talking about how our war is not against flesh, how we're not preparing ourselves to fight with other people. We're, we're preparing to fight with something in the, in the supernatural realm, something in the supernatural world. Fighting against the powers, rulers of the darkness, principalities, spiritual hosts of wickedness. So right away, we have to understand that, that this armor that we have, it's, you know, when we, even in our schools, when, when questions rise up about 
about is, uh, is, is, is should marijuana be legal or not? Should homosexuality be legal or not? And all these cases that, that maybe we don't agree on, that this world does agree on, we have to even understand that our stance on those cases are not that we hate the people who commit these sins. We hate the sins themselves, and the sins aren't any you know, different than other sins that people have. You know, these people are not any different than people that killed. These people are not any different than people that just steal or lie. It's all sin. And we have to understand that that our fight has to be against the sin. And today we're not even going to be talking about other people. We're going to be talking about us for the most part. About how we need to take up this armor of God to protect ourselves and so that we can fight against uh, the darkness and and, the powers that are trying to affect us. The first first thing that that Paul says or the first uh, thing that you need to put on yourself is the waist or or the belt of truth. Now the belt of truth. Now I thought long and hard about all these things because it's, it's easy to say, you know, just have the belt of truth on, you know, God is the way, the truth, and the life, amen, and then the second thing. And, but it's like I, I really tried to really figure out, it's like, okay, belt of truth, what does that mean to me? I don't wear a robe. I don't know what that means, you know, but it's like, what, what, it, what did Paul, or what did God mean when he spoke through Paul to write this passage? What does it mean to us today, the belt of truth? So we all know that Jesus said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's in John chapter 14 verse 6 he said i am truth he said i am the truth this and and okay i thought about that i'm like okay jesus is truth and says this belt it you put it on yourself and okay pretty much you're putting on a belt of truth and the truth and truth is jesus so it's like so you're putting on a belt of jesus on yourself what does that mean so back in these times pretty much the this was written in the time of the the roman empire pretty much this picture is like a classic picture of a roman soldier you know, the helmet with the little, whatever, mohawk, whatever you want to call it, you know. We talked about it at Kids Church, those of you who were at Kids Church a few, a few months ago. And who was Dennis that put everything on? It was Dennis that put everything on. So, if you guys uh, need help with what it looked like, come up to Dennis after the service, he can show you. It was Christina that put everything on, oh my. That's serious right there. She's, uh, she'll show you something. Don't make her get the sword of the Spirit out on you. So the belt of truth. You know, in those times, under everything, they had, they had like a, I don't know if you could call it a dress because a man was wearing, but they had kind of like a rope type thing under all their armor. And this belt, what it did is it kept it in place. It made it so that it's not flailing all over the place, so it's not all over the place. What this belt does, you know, how does that apply to us? What does that do in our lives? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, I'm going to be saying a lot of scripture. You can just write it down and then check it later because I don't think we're even going to have a chance to go through everything. But 1 Corinthians 14, 33, it talks about how God is a God of order. How he's not a God of, 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 of craziness. He's not a God of wrath. What this belt does in our life is it brings order. What does it do? It does it brings form into our life so that it, we're not all over the place. It, it, it brings us to a place where, where we're just standing still before God and we're like, you know, we have other things around us, but we're focused. We, you know, we have, a, we have a goal on our mind. We have a direction that we're going and we're focused. And that's what this belt does. It's important for us to understand what truth is, though, because it's the belt of truth. And truth is something that now is, is, is being understood like relati- relatively. You know, one person's truth is another person's lie, you know. 
our truth is, is light to this world. The world's truth is, is a lie to us. So we have to be sure of what is actual truth. Like, what is absolute truth? What, is, what does the Bible actually say about, about Jesus? What does the Bible actually say about God? And I started writing down characteristics of God. I wrote down 19. And then I started looking for a place in Scripture that, that backs up this description of God. And I don't want to go through 19 right now because that's a lot. But some of the things, God is wisdom. Romans eleven thirty three. he gives wisdom to those who ask. If we remember Solomon asked for wisdom, God gives him wisdom. Book of Proverbs, it's all wisdom that God gave to Solomon. God is infinite, he has no end. He's sovereign. He reigns over all his creation and he does whatever he pleases. He's holy, he's set apart. He's faithful, he's always true to his, his, his word. God is love. Love is patient, love is kind. You know, that scripture describes one characteristic of God, of how great His love is. He's omnipotent. He has unlimited power. He's able to do everything. He's self-existent. He exists not based on whether we're here or not. He existed before the universe existed. He was here before. He's here now, and He'll always be here. Self-sufficient. You know, He doesn't need a generator to power Him up. He, he, he got His own strength. He got His own power. He's a jealous God. He's a just God. He's immutable. He's never changing. He doesn't need to change because he can't be made better. He's already the best that, that, that he can possibly be. He's merciful, eternal. He, God of goodness, gracious, omnipresent. And, and, and these are just like 19 words that you can jot down about God. He's, he's infinite. He really is. And without understanding like this whole picture of God, we don't really know what truth is. What we like to do, you know, with our flesh and, 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 you know, just by our fleshly desires, is we like to take like two or three of these words that, that we like the most, and we like to say, this is God. And then we kind of ignore all the other attributes and all the other characteristics of God. So it's important for us, if we're going to gird ourselves with this, if this is what's going to keep order in our life, if this is going to be the thing that makes sure everything is always is straight and the way it's supposed to be, we got to make sure that it's the absolute truth. we got to make sure that we understand that God is, 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 is a jealous God, that He's a God who, who's wrathful, He's a God who's just, who, who, who gets His revenge eventually. But we can't just always, always, always stick on that. We have to remember that, yes, He's love, yes, He's merciful, and yes, yes, He loves us. But we can't stick to that either. And we have to find that balance, and we have to read His Word and just be like, okay, this doesn't make sense to me, but it says God is a jealous God. I don't know what that means. Maybe God open up to me, show me what that means. And you know, we have to accept God the way that He is. And, and, and with that truth, that, that's what will keep our lives in order. That's what will keep everything that where it's supposed to be. In Isaiah 55, 9, God says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So when we accept who He is, that's, you know, we're accepting that truth of who He is. Another thing we have to accept is we have to accept His plan in our lives and His will. You know, when we, when we accept that, you know, understanding that, that He is God, understanding that, that He is Lord over everything, understanding that even if we don't agree with it, even if we don't understand, His plan is better for us in the end result. Maybe we don't see it now, we'll understand it five years from now. But, you know, when we, when we get to that point where we're like, okay, God, You... You are wisdom. You, you know everything. I'll just, I'm just going to trust in you. I'm just going to do what you say. 2 Peter 1.3, it 
it says his divine power has given us all things that per- pertain to life and salvation. So it says God gives us everything that we need for this life and salvation. So in, in him, it's like he is, he is the source of, of, of everything that you could possibly need. Not everything that you want, everything that you need. He is the source. He'll, he'll, he'll make sure that you have food on your table. He'll make sure that, that you have enough, as much money as you need in, in certain situations. He'll make sure that you have everything that you absolutely need on this earth if you trust in him and if you gird yourself with that belt and if you put it on yourself. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's kind of tight. I got to, you know, take off a few pounds to make sure it fits, it fits good, but I want to put this belt on and, and I, I want God to be in charge of my life and him to have order over everything. We always talk about that uh, scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. You know, that, that can also be applied to, this, <laughs> to the belt. You know, just put it on, seek first the kingdom of God and just go. And just start walking. You, you'll, you'll start noticing that your life begins to get in order. It won't happen overnight. You'll start noticing that God will help you overcome something. He'll help you, he'll help you fight over something. He'll help you be bold in a moment that, that you haven't been able to be bold before. And you'll start seeing like these little moments of your life when, when God's starting to move and God's starting to act. And when we don't have a true idea of God and His plan in our lives, we're using a belt that can't keep our lives in order and constantly acts as a thorn in our side. You ever see those, those belts with like the spikes on them? Yeah, when we put on a bad belt, it's like we're putting that inside out and like shoving it into ourselves that's that's what it that's what it's like even though we're like but it looks cool you know it it looks cool i like it better than this a boring old black belt that just just does the job but god's word is simple and god's word is very very straight and very tight second thing is the breastplate of righteousness jesus said blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that's matthew 5 6 and then part of the romans road Read. We can actually flip to this place. It's Romans chapter 3. If you guys don't know the, what the Romans road is, it's four places in the book of Romans, and it's something we should all have memorized because it's a good tool to have while evangelizing or just you have an opportunity to talk some, to somebody about God and tell them what they need to hear. So Romans chapter 3. Verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this, what this place in Scripture is doing is putting every single person on the same level. It's saying we have all fallen. We have all fallen short of, of, of the glory of God. Every single one of us has fallen. There isn't a single person on this earth, with the exception of Jesus, who has you know, never fallen. And, and righteousness, this word righteousness, you know, it's, it's a Christian word. It's a word we all know, but we don't really know what that means a lot of time. We just know that it's, you know, it's righteousness. We're made righteous, but what does that actually mean? It says in... Uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right? That's good. But that doesn't say anything about righteousness. A lot of times we say, you know, we, we, we prayed the prayer, you know, we believe in Jesus and we're made righteous because of that. 
the whole beautiful thing about the cross is, is that Jesus came and he died to make us righteous. And in, a, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not just praying a prayer of Jesus be Lord over our lives. This place in Scripture says that we have to confess our sins. And that cleanses us from all the unrighteousness. So, so the act of, of confessing your sins. And, you know, the, the Bible was, was a very straightforward and, and, and very sharp. Confessing your sins, you know, it doesn't just mean God, I'm sorry for doing this, amen. No, conf- when, you, when you truly confess, you know, if you've ever done something wrong to somebody and, and, you, know, and you have to go confess before them. It doesn't just work if you're like, hey, Andre, I'm, I'm totally sorry that I crashed into your car and then hit your bike and then somehow managed to kick your stroller across the street. I'm really sorry. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. You know, it, when you confess something, you come and you humble your, your, yourself and you just like, I am truly just out of the bottom bottom of my heart i'm so sorry I, I i don't even know what came over me i don't know what i was doing i'm so sorry you know what what i was saying there's no excuse for what i just said to andre you should never do that but when you come before god and and, and you confess it it's a moment when you're when you just humble yourself before god and and you're just at a point where where you're broken and 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 whatever you you've fallen in whatever you failed and it's just it's tearing you apart inside and and, and, and that place in Scripture that Paul talked about where it's like, what my flesh wants to do, I don't want to do, but I keep doing it even though I don't want to, but my flesh wants to. And you get to that point where you're like divided, where you don't even want to be doing this anymore, but, but it keeps coming out of you. And, and, and confessing in those moments is when you fall down on your knees, when nobody's around and you just say, God, help me, God, do something. God, send people into my, into my life. Help me, to, help me to, to open this up to others. Help me to expose it, God. I want, I want to fight. I want to do this. That's confessing, and when you do that, when, you, when, when that's a natural part of your life, not, not to the point where it becomes religious and robotic, but when that's a natural point where, where, where you do something and you're like, man, I did it again. What, what's going on with me? Not, not just like, oh, I'm praying now. I need to remember all the wrong things I've done. And it's like, oh, yeah, God, I did this. I'm sorry. No, but it's like as soon as it happens, it's like some, your, your heart like falls almost. I don't know. It's like your heart breaks every time. Every time you, you, you fall into that trap again, every single time you, 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 you hurt somebody, it's like your heart breaks every single time. And you're like, God, please help me do something. You know? That's what confessing your sins are before God. When, when, when you stand before him and you're like, God, I'm, I'm a hopeless man. And I need you to, to come. I need you to intervene. I need you to do something. And that cleanses us from unrighteousness. It means makes us righteous. Breastplate of righteousness. It's, it's, it's something that you put on, and, and as soon as you choose to disobey God's word, you're taking off this breastplate of righteousness, and, you, and you're exposed to the enemy. As soon as you make that choice, it's not, and you know, and there's a difference from when you choose to sin, and you're doing it deliberately, or when you stumble somewhere across, uh, across the line, and, and, and it wasn't even purposeful. There's a difference between those two. But when you choose to sin, when you choose to do something against God's word, you're taking off that breastplate of righteousness. The, the sacrifice of Jesus isn't sufficient for you anymore because contract's off. You're not holding up your part of the deal. And you're taking off that breastplate of righteousness. You're exposing yourself to every single attack. You're exposing yourself to, to all the darkness and, and anything else that wants to enter in. 
when you confess yourself, you're made righteous again. That, that, that breastplate, it's like it has a, has a right to stay on you. You know, nobody can take it off because you're, you're righteous before God. That's what that breastplate is. In Proverbs 24, 16, it says, A righteous man may fall seven times and rises again. And, and either last Sunday or a few Sundays, Pastor was even talking about that number seven. And we see that number seven in Scripture. It doesn't even mean that, you know, you just fall seven times. And then, you know, the eighth time, God's not going to forgive you. That seven is like, it's, it's the number of, of completeness, of wholeness. So what that means is, it doesn't matter how many times you fall. As long as you keep getting back up. As long as you keep fighting. As long as you keep saying, I'm not going to accept that, that my whole life I'm going to be struggling with this. I'm not going to accept that then my whole life I'm going to be fighting with, with this or I'm going to have a conflict with this person. You're not accepting that. You keep rising up. You keep fighting. You, you keep going into war. That's what we're talking about today. That's why you need an armor because every day we're going into war, whether we realize it or not. So standing up, that's what a righteous man or woman does. The sandals of preparation of the gospel of peace or the sandals of readiness for the gospel of peace personally this is my favorite part of the armor i don't know this is the one that god really just gave me a a, a bright revelation to to receive even before this word was born but preparation of the gospel of peace so it's it, okay so it's something you're putting on so that you're prepared for the gospel of peace. So the gospel of peace is the message that Jesus preached to this earth. The, the word peace here, it means like peace between man and God. It doesn't just mean peace like, you know, no wars, you know, kumbaya, everything's fine. It means peace between a man and God. And this says, what is it, the, the sandals or, or the boots, I don't know what your translation says, of preparation for the gospel of peace. So it's like you're putting on boots so that you are ready to, first of all, receive the gospel of peace, but second of all, to give the gospel of peace. You know, you, you usually, I don't know how it works in your guys' house. In my house, when I'm about to leave somewhere, that's when I put on shoes. This is pretty logical. So, so you're, you're putting on sandals or you're putting on boots that prepare you for the gospel of peace. What that means is, it means that you build your life in a way where if you need to be a part of the ministry, you're not rooted into, into your job. You're not rooted into, into whatever it is your plans are. It means that you're, you're mobile. If God says go, you're, you're ready to go. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter what He says. It's just you're, you're in a state where you're ready to move. You have these boots on. You're ready to go anytime He says anything. You know, you know, uh, Say, you know, a year from now, we're going to Mexico. And you just feel in your heart that you really, really just need to go on this trip. This one time, you, this is the time that you need to go. But, oh, I got this and I got this. The, you don't have the boots on. The boots, and it doesn't mean that you don't have a job. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything and you just sit at home and you're like, God, what do I do today? No, it means that you're in a state where you're ready. Always. You're in a state where you're prepared, where as soon as God says move, you're ready to move. You're, you're, you're ready to go. You're, you're ready to, to work it out with whoever you need to work it out for. And you're ready to do the things that God tells you to do. In uh, Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down that middle wall of separation, having abolished in all flesh 
the enmity, that is, the law of the commandment contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So it's that, and you know, that, that message that we're preaching is, is, you know, the cross pretty much, that the gospel of peace, it's the message of the cross. It's, it's the message where God came down and he reconciled us to him, where, where we had no connection, where there were no way for us to connect with God because he is holy, because he is righteous and we are not. And Jesus comes down and, you know, stands on that bridge that we can walk across and meet God. And, you know, that's the gospel that we're preaching, you know. It's like, yeah, we have our, 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 our topics that we talk about. Yeah, but in, in a sense, that's always the main thing of anything that we should ever preach to people. You know, the cross. And we're all sinners. And when we start talking to other Christians who believe that part and then, you know, are completely off and everything, that's a different story. But when we go to people in this world, that's what we need to tell them. We need to tell them that, hey, you're going to hell right now. And God gave you an opportunity to go to heaven right now. You know, that's the gospel that we're preaching. That's the gospel of peace. That's, that's the message. That's, that's why we're here on this earth. That's why God's opened our eyes, in a sense. Yeah, we do other things. We have our ministries, but he says, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, go and preach. Go, 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 preach, go. We listened to a, a message by Francis Chan, and it was called, just do something. Just very, just like, do something. Just and, and the whole time he's like, you know, people always pray about, you know, God, should I do this? Should I do this? And it's like you sit there and he already told you to go do it. Why are you asking him whether you need to do it or not? Just go do something. Start, get active in, in, in some ministry. Go on some mission trip, even if you don't feel like it. Just do something. You know, expect God to move some way. Don't just sit there and be like, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready for your fire and your glory to come down on me. No, the fire and glory came down on Elijah when he was on a mountain surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people who were about to tear his head off. You know, when he was in a situation where he needed God to intervene, that's when God came down. You know, same, same thing with, with, with Noah. He could have, oh, cool, there's going to, you know, it's going to start raining. This is awesome. It's going to start raining. I'm going to see rain for the first time in my life. This is awesome. No, you start building an ark because God told you to build an ark. You don't need to start praying, God, maybe I should build a boat. Or maybe, God, maybe you didn't really mean an ark. Maybe you, you meant something else. No, he, told, he already told you what to do. He's given you the word. He's given you the commandment. You know, he's spoken to your heart. He, he's spoken to you through some message. You already know what you need to do. I'm not saying let's drop everything, move to Africa just for the sake of doing something. But God speaks to us, you know. The Holy Spirit is in us. You know, God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. There's never been a moment in my life where I'm like, well, God, what should I do now? I've done everything. There's never been a moment like that. There's always a moment where I'm like, where God's telling me, you, go, you, need, to go, you need to go to Nineveh. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go to Nineveh because I don't feel it. But God always says something. Just whether we choose to listen to him or not, that's, that's what we need to figure out. And that's what it means when we put on those boots of, of readiness. We're ready to go. We're, we're mobile. We're, we're, we're not too rooted in, in this world. You know, we don't grow our roots down here because the source of water on this earth is pretty weak. You know, we need, we need to put our roots down and, you know, next to the, the, the streams of living water, you know, in that river that, that runs out of, you know, God's throne. or I don't know what it says in the Bible exactly. Something like that. That's where we need our roots to go down. So the, so the, the source that we're getting our water from is, is God himself, not something that this world has manufactured or, or that the you know, next hippest church is, is preaching. 
Jesus didn't even have a home in this world. You know, he says foxes have a, have a hole, but the son of, man, uh, son of God doesn't even have a place to lay his head. You know, that's, that's pretty extreme. And Jesus says, be holy as I am holy. So that's like, that's the, that's the result that we're, that we're striving towards. You know, that's what we want, to be in that state where we're not uh, connected to anything. This, uh, this week at group, we were made a good jump through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you know. So it was a good one. And, and, we're, and the whole, you know, we read about that place in Scripture where it says, you know, my advice to you is to not get married because if you get married, you're going to be all busy. And then, then we started breaking down what Paul's actually saying. And he's like, whoa, whoa, the whole point of what he's preaching is don't get rooted into anything. The whole thing he's saying, you know, if you weep, be as if you don't weep. You know, if, if, if you're rejoicing, be as if you're not rejoicing. If you're buying, do it, you know, you do it as if you're not owning anything. So it's like he's saying, it's like, yeah, you're, you're living in this life and you're doing in these things, but you don't belong to this life and you don't belong to this world. And, you know, that, that state of mind, that state of your heart where it's just like, oh, okay, I don't belong to this world. I live where I live. I have what I have, but it's not really mine. You know, one day we'll die. You know, Job says, you know, naked we came into the world, naked we'll go from the world. We can't take anything with us. The ancient Egyptians thought we'll build big pyramids and we'll put a whole bunch of stuff in there and the pharaohs will take that with them to the afterlife. Well, then how come all the gold is still in all those pyramids then? It's not in there anymore. All the grave robbers got them. You know, they're the ones who are, you know, really... That was fake. They just put a hole in the... Uh, in a pyramid and like, oh, tourists, come look inside the pyramid. It's really cool. So your life is mobile. You're not rooted into this world. Sandals of preparation for the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. It's the next thing. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith. Faith is a very interesting thing. If we can open up to Romans chapter 4, faith. Faith is believing in something that you don't see. Right? That's a good biblical definition of what faith is. It's you believe in something that you don't see but we don't see god but we believe in god you know we don't physically see god you know we see him move in our lives but we don't physically see him we believe people of this world don't physically see evolution happening they just believe some scientists that said it happened billions of years ago we watched watch this interesting thing by ray comfort it's on youtube for anyone who's interested so you know he always goes and he evangelizes to people and he goes to all these smart people and and all these college students and all these professors, and he asks them, he's like, can you give me one example where we physically saw evolution happening? And they're like, well, evidence of evolution. And they're like, well, he's like, we had this little amoeba in a Petri dish. He's like, and then what happened over time is it evolved into a different kind of amoeba. And, and, and Ray Comfort, he's like, okay. He's like, do you have evidence of like it actually becoming something else 
you know, do, you know, it says, you know, Big Bang Theory, Big Dot explodes, you know, we were little cells and then we grew legs and then we grew hands and we stopped swimming and we, you know, now people. You know, it always, it changed kinds. And he's like, can you give me one example of when something changed a kind? Like when a dog became a cat. Just one example and I'll, be, and I'll believe evolution. Just one example. They're like, well, there was the Galapagos Island where, where Charles Darwin went to go watch the finches. And he was watching them. And it's like there were like four different kind of beaks. And then he comes like years later and it's like they're only one kind of beak now because the kind of food that they had on that island, the, the finches and their beaks, the ones that didn't have the right beaks to eat, they died off and only the other ones lived. So they all adapted to one kind of beak. And he's like, yeah, but they're still birds. And, th and then... For those of you in high school, if you, if you didn't know, years later after he died, they go back to the island and the birds' beaks go back to the way they were before. Just so that you all know when you're in high school and your teacher tells you this happens, you can tell them years later they went and dispro disproved this. Just information. Anyways, why am I talking about this? Faith. Eventually he got to the point where he's like, so you believe what scientists are saying? They're, they're like, yes. Look, you've never actually seen evolution. Yes. He's like, so you just have faith that what the scientist said is right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, faith, believing in something that you don't see. We believe in a God that's alive and a God that's real, even though we don't see him. In Romans chapter 4, hope you guys are already there. It says in verse, uh, let's see, verses 18 through 21, this is talking about Abraham Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he, had, what he had promised, he was able to perform. So it's saying Abraham heard a word from a God that he didn't see. And he believed in that God. His faith didn't waver. He stayed true to that word. And because of that, he saw a result in his life. In uh, Hebrews, chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about the heroes of the faith. Heroes of the faith. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And then it starts saying, By faith Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. By faith, Noah began divinely warning of things not yet seen. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed. By faith, Joseph did this. By faith, Moses. By faith, Moses. By, by faith, he forsook Egypt. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish. Then later on it talks about the, the, the judges, Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel, kings, and it talks about the king, the prophets. Then it starts talking about the disciples, how they were being tortured, 
they, they, they didn't give up. They stayed faithful to God. They were tortured. They were murdered. They were killed. It talks about faith. Faith. They heard a word from God, and then they held on to that word. In Ephesians, the, the thing that it says about faith says, take up your shield of faith so that you are, you are able and that you're ready against all the fiery darts of, of, of the evil one or of Satan. It says, by faith. In verse 13, it's still here in Hebrews, they all died in faith, not having received the promise. They were faithful and, and they all died, not seeing what was promised. You know, Moses died, he saw the land in the distance, but he didn't get, well, that was kind of his own mistake, but, you know, he didn't get it, but he still stayed faithful to God. Abraham, same thing, Isaac, Jacob, they all had a moment where God spoke a word, and they're like, I know God is real, and, and they got a certain glimpse of something that God gave them, but there was always something that's like, God, God's like, no, I'm not going to give this to you, and they still stayed faithful all the way to the end. You know, Jesus told all the disciples that, you know, I'm, I'm the king. You know, you're all going to reign with me. And then they all, with the exception of John, get crucified, murdered, killed, skinned alive, burned, cooked in oil. They were faithful to the end, even though physically they didn't see themselves reigning here. They didn't see themselves ruling with Jesus. You know, now they're like, yeah, it was worth it. You know, they're thinking, it was worth it to go through what I went through. Faith. We, we believe in, in, in God. We believe in, in the word that he has spoken. We hold on to it. And, and why I believe that, that it's a shield of faith. We have a lot of, you know, when God speaks to us and, you know, time goes by and nothing happens, it starts getting hard. You know, when you, when you guys start a, a school club, you know, in the beginning, you're excited. Three, four months afterwards, you're kind of like, nothing's happening. It's still the same people coming every week. In any ministry, it's like that. In the beginning, you're excited. You're on fire. You're like, yes, we're going to take over the world. Then a couple of months go by, and you're like, oh, nothing's really happening. And, you know, in, in those moments, that's when Satan starts throwing those darts at you. That's where he's like, oh. You didn't hear from God. Oh, this wasn't a real revelation. You made this by yourself. This, this, it's going to fail. Everything's going to fail. You're going to fall. You're a terrible Christian. How, how do you call yourself a Christian? And that's when we put up that shield. That's when we're like, I don't know what's going on, but I know God spoke to me. I know God's spoken to my heart. I know God put this burden in my heart. My flesh would not put a burden in my heart to, to start a school club. My flesh would not put a burden in my heart to, to lead a prayer. When, I, when I'm scared to grab a mic. My flesh is not going not gonna to put a burden in my heart to, to do something. In my family to preach somebody. To, pre- to preach to somebody. Satan will never give you an idea. It's like, hey, go tell that guy the gospel. You know? It's always God planning an idea. God planning something. He's like, go. I'll, I'll, I'll give you grace right now. Just go. Speak to him. I'll, 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 but I don't know what to say. I'll tell you what to say. Just go. Have faith. You know? And in those moments, that's when we put up that that shield in those moments that's when we put up that shield and we're like i know god is real i know god is speaking to me i know that 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 he wants to use me and and we put up that faith we we hold on to to god's word we hold on to god's promise we hold on to 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 what he said and we just go we move forward and the shield of faith is what's going to help you get through those 
valleys, through those trials, deserts, storms, whatever adjective you want to put in there. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. We can't get salvation from anybody except Jesus. You know, Buddha came and he went. Muhammad came and he went. They all died. They can't give us salvation. They can't save anybody. They can't do anything to any of us. Jesus came, resurrected from the dead, you know. Find somebody else who did that. You know, it's like that's, that's who gives us salvation in, a, in Acts chapter 4. Just so that we have a place in Scripture to go based off of this idea. Acts chapter 4. From verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done by a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only by Jesus do we have this salvation. It's a helmet of salvation, something we put on our, something you, you put on your head. In, in, in those times, Roman soldiers, obviously, they didn't have guns. They didn't, their weapon was a sword. That's what they had. And just even even in combat a roman soldier his task and his goal was to hit people on the head that's your best shot of killing a person let's just you know talk like that you know he's a soldier what he, what does he do he kills the enemy a sword is is meant to to hit people on the head if you had a good enough helmet you were able to absorb that hit and you know and while he's exposed for hitting you you know you slice him on the side anyways but when you have a good helmet, it's able to absorb that hit. The helmet of salvation, something that places, is placed on our head, it, it, prever, it's, it um, preserves our mind. It protects your mind from false doctrine or Satan's temptations. It's something you put on that, that protects. You know, I think thoughts are probably like the most difficult thing to battle. Because that's something that, that gets so creative and it's like they, you know, years go by and you just start, you know, these new ideas pop up and you're like, why am I even thinking about this right now? I'm supposed to be worshiping God right now. You know, you, you guys ever had those moments during worship where your eyes are closed, you're singing a song and you're like, man, I forgot to call Jack back at three o'clock today. And you're still singing. Your hands are still raised, but your mind is, is gone. The helmet of salvation, it, it pre- pre- preserves you from, from all those thoughts. You know, that, that's, that's just something where you can just shake it off and, and, and you can go. There's people who struggle with their thoughts. You know, if you're not one of them, you're blessed. But there's people that, that just go home and, you know, they have their depression, they have their this, their this, and, and they're constantly being bombarded in their minds, in, in, in their brains. They're constantly having thoughts of suicide. They're constantly, constantly having these thoughts that are taking over their lives. The helmet of, of salvation is something that you put on. It's something that, that 
man, it even helps you keep going when you fall. Because you fall, and, and a lot of times you, you ask God for forgiveness, and then Satan comes in and he's like, God didn't really forgive you. You know, he didn't really forgive you. You know, you, you really messed up this time. You know, but you put on the helmet, you're like, no, I confess with my mouth that, that, that this is a sin. I confess this sin. I move forward. And, and, and this helmet reminds you that, hey, I'm saved right now. I don't need to be afraid of death. I don't need to be afraid of this world. I'm saved. God's given me this salvation. He, he, he gifted it to me even though I don't deserve it. The, this helmet, it, 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 it protects us. You know, for an unsaved person, they don't have any protection from, from any kind of religion they don't have any protection from any kind of false Christianity. You know, they, they go to a church and they're like, hey, this is cool. There's some loving God that will give me money. Sure, I believe that. And bam, just like that. You have, you have uh, uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses who, who believe something so strongly, who are like since they were kids were just brainwashed and, and programmed, and, and they really do believe, even though I don't really... I f- Francis Chan said this interesting thought, and I'm like, man, he's like, he's like, these two Mormons came to my house, and he starts talking to them, and then they're like saying him something, and he's like, okay, can you show me where that is in the Bible? I want to see that in the Bible. He's like, I, I don't want to just something that, you know, he's like, I want you to just read, you know, you know, your idea is not something that you can understand just from reading this book 20 times cover to cover. It's like, you know, you read this book and then you're like, well, and then you start making up something. He's like, prove to me, show me that this is from the actual Bible. You know, they were telling about how, how God has a father and then a grandfather. And they're, you know, you know, and he's like, where's grandfather God at? And he's like, we well, don't know where grandfather God is. We're just worried about our God. You know, and we'll all be gods when we die. So Mormons believe. There's a grandfather God. I don't know if there's a grandmother God. Who knows? And, and they don't unsaved people they don't have any protection from this stuff but when we put on that helmet when we when we protect ourselves we're like okay going back to 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 the belt of truth going back to who god really is he's like i know who i believe i know what i believe i know the word well enough to 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 know who god is and even though i'm not perfect i i know i'm striving for that and in that helmet it's on it's on you it protects you it keeps you you know it keeps you focused keeps you from getting smacked on the head by a sword Fun fact about Roman soldiers and swords. Uh, back in those times, a Roman soldier used his sword to cook. He used his sword to, like, just as, like, we use a pocket knife. He's like, let me slice this tomato, you know? No, I'm serious. They used it for cooking. They used it for making soups. They used it, it was like their multi-purpose. It was like a, what are those things called? They, like, like a utility knife that has, like, a screwdriver. has this Swiss Army knife, thank you. That's a company, though. Swiss Army is a company. That's what they call Okay, that's who invented it, so that's what it's called. Anyways, that's what their sword was back in those times. And we'll get back to the sword. That's the next thing, but sorry, I got distracted there. Helmet of salvation. So we put on that thing. In, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul actually talks about the helmet of salvation again. And he says in a very interesting way, he says, he calls it the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. So it's kind of like that same thing where it's like even, even this helmet, it, it gives you assurance that it's like, I'm saved. You know, I have hope in the fact that God's words are real. And I have hope in the fact that he said that I'm saved. You know, it's like it, it, it gives you that, that peace in your mind. It gives you that, that, that place where you're like, I'm working. I'm, I'm, I'm changing. I'm moving forwards every day. I'm, I'm doing something. But, and, and I know I'm saved. 
You know, I know I'm saved. You know, that's the scariest thought, I think, is when you're like, hey, am I saved or not? It's a scary thought, especially for a Christian to have that thought. It's like, hey, am I really saved? When you have that question, it usually means you're not doing something right. And uh, we'll have time today to pray. We'll have time to, to repent, to get right with God. Satan tries to discourage us by pointing to our failures, sins, unresolved problems, poor health, so that we lose confidence in God. And the helmet gives us assurance for the future that the present struggle, struggles we are going through will one day be past. And we will be victorious because the spirit that God, because of the spirit that God placed in us. And then the, uh, the sixth part of the armor, this is the one part of the armor that's meant for offense. Everything else is armor you put on to protect yourself. This is offense. The sword of the Spirit, Spirit, which is the Word of God. Sword of the Spirit, His Word. In John chapter 1, it says, the Word became flesh. It says, Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh. So, so automatically we see that we have two sources that, that this sword applies to. We have, you know, Jesus as a person who was the Word of God in flesh. And then we have the, the written Word of God in front of us. And in those times, Roman soldiers, they all had something, you know, like we know in, in a Hebrews chapter 4, a double-edged sword. And, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can interpret that. Some people say, that, you know, that it's double-edged because one edge is, you know, the Old Testament and one edge is the New Testament. Other smart Christians say that one edge is, you know, Jesus being the Word. The other edge is, you know, being the, the written Word. Either way, it's a double-edged sword. Okay. It, it had, it's shaped like this. You know, it's a broad sword. It's a double-edged sword. It's sharp on both sides. Jesus said a very interesting thing one time. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. You know, it's like, what kind of a message is that? You know? I read this subtitle somewhere where it's like, if Jesus was the pastor of your church, you wouldn't go there. You know? <laughs> It's probably true for a lot of people. They wouldn't go to church if Jesus was the pastor there and preaching like he preaches. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. In Hebrews 4.12, you know, we learned this. You know, kids' church people should really know this. You know, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divine soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the Word of God is sharp. It's, it is paying off. I, I still remember that scripture. I'll remember that scripture for the rest of my life. So will all those kids who, who remembered it. It's, it's living and active, and it cuts. For some weird reason, it doesn't say that, that the Word of God is a fluffy pillow that you put your head on before you go to sleep. You know? It says, no, it says the Word of God is living and active. Like, it's like a double-edged sword, and it cuts between joint and marrow, soul, and spirit. It sounds great. But well, that's what the Word of God is. The Word of God is sharp. And when Jesus said that I came to bring a sword, that's what He meant. He meant, I come bringing a message that divides. He's like, I come bringing a message that cuts and shows you truth. You know, it shows you that, that even though the Pharisees look like they're right, they're not. And you know, this beggar that is just hitting himself in the chest, asking God for forgiveness is right. 
You know, he came and he drew that line in the sand. He came and, and it's like with that sword. In Revelation, it says he'll come back with that sword coming out of his mouth. Also not a pleasant thought. The You know, sword is the one weapon they had back then. You know, I don't know if, if, if you know, Jesus was there in modern times, if he would use a gun as a more practical. I don't know. That doesn't matter. Either way, they had a sword. That was their weapon. Sword was like their, their vision of like the most violent thing that can possibly happen. Nothing good comes out of a sword. And Jesus uses this word. And then Paul uses this word. And then in the book of Revelation, God gives John the revelation that, that the sword's coming out of his mouth. So it's something that's sharp. It's something that cuts. Something that divides. And, and Paul says, put on the armor of God. And then he says, take up the sword. So does that mean we're supposed to just like chop everybody and just like, hey, you're all going to hell, sinners, bam, bam. No. Spirit, which is the word of God, you know, what does that mean? It means that we preach the word of God. We preach the word of God, not our own ideas. Paul said, I didn't come to you, you know, like with, with, with human wisdom. I didn't come to you with all these fancy words. I come with you with the power of the spirit. I come to you with, with, with the word of God. And that's what we need, you know, that's when we'll see people repenting. That's when we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, our ministry, you know, just growing. If it's not growing, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily doing something wrong. It just means that there's a time for everything. And we need to prepare ourselves with that sword. We need to train ourselves so that we know how to use the sword. So when the time comes, we know how to swing it. We know what to say. They didn't have stainless steel back in those times. You know, nowadays you make a sword out of stainless steel. It's, it's good. You know, you can put it somewhere. The interesting thing about the swords that they made back in those days, if a sword was not used for a good period of time, it began to be rusty and then good for nothing. At that point, there's no, there's no way of restoring it. So if a sword... And, and there were only three ways to keep a sword in shape and, 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 ready for, and ready for fight. First one is use, just using the sword. Second one is honing it against a rock. So it's when you put the sword up against a rock, you, smack an, you grab another rock and you just begin to hit it, to sharpen it, to, to bring life into it almost. Does somebody want to be <laughs> honed by it? No. So sharpening it, hitting it. And the third way is sharpening it against another soldier's sword. So as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another man. So using it, smacking it with a rock, and then sharpening it against another person's sword. Could even be that. That probably makes more sense. I mean, if you need to straighten, I guess maybe I'm thinking of straightening it. Andre's probably right. Either way, rock. Okay, I'll break these down. First one is you use the sword. You read the Bible. You know, read it, use it. The second of all is you're using a rock to make it sharp. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the rock that we stand on. Okay, making sense. Third one is you're sharpening it using another soldier's sword. So you're both sharpening your swords at the same time. Isn't that what we do in church? Isn't that the whole purpose for there to actually be a church? 
so that we come together. You know, we're like, God did this in my life this week. And we encourage each other and we help each other. And we have this, this, this community and we have this family. And, and this sword, it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And sharper and it, do, and it doesn't become rusty. It doesn't lose its power. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give, to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. First, first Peter 3.15. So saying always be ready to answer to somebody. I just translated that to today's English. Always be ready to answer somebody. When somebody asks you a question, be ready to give them the answer. Be ready to tell them what God has said. You know, be ready to, to preach that gospel. Back to Ephesians. We're going to be finishing up here. Once again, from verse 14, it says, Have the, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, boots of, of preparation of the gospel of peace, take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And in verse 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So that's something I haven't really noticed until recently is he gives you six pieces of armor and then he doesn't end his thought. He continues his thought and then he's like, and pray. You know, I, I, I know Ksusha was telling me for the kids' church lesson downstairs, they made up some like spear of prayer. So they made up like another weapon to, huh? The lance of prayer. Oh man, the lance. Anyways, but prayer, it's his prayer. And it's interesting because it says it in such a way where it's like praying always, being watchful to this end with perseverance. So it's like it's putting you in, in a position. It's putting you in a position where it's like you're always ready. You're praying and you're always ready. And there's so much places in Scripture that talk about this. Jesus said to his disciples, you know, he's like, pray. You know, right now, be watchful. You know, you know, pray on, uh, so you won't enter into temptation, you know, so you won't fall asleep right before he was, he was taken away to be crucified. He's like, be ready right now. Pray, be ready. In First Thessalonians, it says, never stop praying. It says, always continue praying. Be vigilant. Be sober because the devil walks around like a roaring lion. So it's like in, in your prayer, it's like that's your preparedness. That's where you're ready. That's where you're, you, you have the armor on. Everything's good. If you have the armor on and you're just, you know, standing like this kind of, You'll get smacked from behind. You're praying. You're prepared. You're ready. You know. It's like, it's like even being that watchman on the wall. You're always, you know, you're looking ahead. You're, you're like, I know something's coming. I know we're in a war. I know something's going to come against me. And it's that element of surprise. You know, every army has an element of surprise. The, the other enemy didn't expect this. That's what prayer is. Even when we pray in tongues, Satan doesn't know what we're saying. We don't know what we're saying. God knows what we're saying. The Holy Spirit knows what we're saying. And Satan doesn't know, and who knows? He's like, he could be praying about anything right now. And it's that like element of surprise. You, you're ready, you're prepared, you have everything ready, you're, you're focused, you, and you're ready to fight in this war and, and, and fight for your life. Amen. So let's just pray. We're just going to pray on that note. Just, uh, so that we're prepared, we're going to pray that God would help us to, to stay faithful, that God would help us to always lean on Him and be one with him.